0: Hey, friends, welcome to the Rhythms for Life podcast, where each week we talk about four rhythms that help you reduce stress and anxiety and take charge of your emotional health. Rest, restore, connect, create.
1: These ideas come from Rebecca's best selling book, Rhythms of Renewal Trading Stress and Anxiety for a Life of Peace and Purpose. So grab your copy, invite your friends, and let's live in rhythm.
0: Welcome back. I'm Rebecca.
1: And I'm Gabe. And it's summertime. I hope you guys have had a great month of June. It's going fast. It's kind of going too fast. Yeah. I don't know if you guys feel that way or not, but for us, every time we get to the middle of the summer, we're like, wait, where's our summer going? But July's (laughs) going to be good too. And I I know this weekend represents kind of that shift towards July 4th.
0: Many of you know we just got back from Lost Valley last week. and I'm still sore.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, riding horses is fun, but... Several yeah. days of riding horses, yeah. and yeah, you feel muscles. Kind of limping you around have, for a bit, Or bones, for a bit. I should say.
0: <laughs> bones. Um, but it's so fun because Joy really has gotten to this horse show the last year, and she pretends like she's riding a horse at all times when we're just driving <laughs> around Franklin. And so it was nice for her to actually, you know, she goes slow on a real horse. She doesn't, you know, yeah. in her mind, she's racing a horse across the mountains. Right. But but
1: it's like a grandma horse <laughs> that they're walking very slowly.
0: Yes, a pony. Uh, yeah, but she but she makes all the sounds. She goes easy, girl, easy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> she's fun. She's growing up quick. And and speaking
0: of joy, she just had a birthday on Monday. She is nine now, which is wild. It's it's crazy. She's been with us three and a half years and so much has changed i was reflecting on this recently as i was kind of thinking about her birthday and preparing for it and even just you know those initial months of trauma quite frankly coming into our home displacement obviously for everyone else but also remembering how much she had night terrors in those first months and even couple years and how those have slowly faded over time and just how she really kind of owns her place in our home. Yeah, she
1: does. <laughs> and you've done such a great job. I mean, one of the things has been a big intention over the last six months is a whole new reading program and helping her... Really take more confidence in her reading and it's just been fun to see you and her working together and how much she responds to it. you as teacher. And I love
0: it. I, I know. know. It's great. I'm not I'm not full-time homeschool teacher, but what I am really loving is partnering with her school and in a proactive way on like let's get a reading plan that really I think she can thrive and flourish. And it's been really sweet to watch her yeah. and her pronunciation obviously she had to have like a retainer in the top this is more information than y'all asked for but but partly because she was on a bottle for so long like her mouth needed to open up so she could actually pronounce certain yeah. consonants and vowels and now she's able to talk more clearly and her english is you know great so it's been sweet she'll look at me and just try to get all her blends and all those sounds great and i'm enjoying it my mom was a teacher my whole life growing up fourth grade and I, I thought I'll never be a teacher, but I actually am a teacher. I, yeah. I see that in myself, and I love to watch those uh, those things are connected for her.
1: I know everybody listening who has little kids, you're teaching them how to read. So I know that's not like rocket science, but there's a whole different type of method, a style that's been designed specifically for kids with Down syndrome that helps them really gain confidence in their reading. So it takes a lot of extra time, takes some different methods and processes and printing lots of papers and, and a lot of things that help them start to call out these words. So that's what's been fun to watch, and it's fun. I can't believe it's almost been four years since she's been with us.
0: Yeah, and I'm sure you guys will go, what's this method? So I'm going to go ahead and say it now. It's called So Happy to Learn, and we will put the link in the show notes. If you're interested, to check it out. It's been really good for us.
1: So this episode, we are delving into sex, and that's the episode that I would say for anybody listening to this, get your spouse involved in hearing this conversation our marriage and parenting series is brought to you by Aro, and you can listen now for more about how we're using that in our home as well as how you could benefit from it
0: so since we're over here talking about rhythms all the time we all know how much our phones get in the way of this the healthy rhythms that we want for ourselves, our spouses, our kids, our families. And so I'm very excited about ARO, spelled A-R-O, and how easily it helps us build those healthy rhythms and habits back into our lives. I've been challenging myself for the last few months to reduce that screen time that shows up on my phone every week. And this is something that has really helping me do that. ARO pairs a Bluetooth-connected smart box which, by the way, is beautiful. It's aesthetic. It works really well in your living room. It's just part of the furniture and a decoration. But what's so great about it is that the kids use it. We all have a fun and motivating app that automatically tracks the amount of time you spend away from your phone. So together, they help you develop the habit of putting down your phone so you can focus on the things that matter most. Maybe it's reading a book, enjoying dinner together, even watching a family movie without a second screen. Until August 31, Aro is offering the chance to win a three-night getaway to Bolt, Farm Treehouse. I don't know if you've guys seen these, but they are amazing. A luxury mountaintop retreat that, just like Aro, helps people reconnect with nature, their people, and their purpose. So to register for a chance to win, text RFL to 66866. Again, text RFL to 66866. Additionally, Aro is offering RFL listeners a $25 discount by using code RFL at checkout. And... A free six month subscription for a limited time. Order your RO today at goaro.com, G O A R O.com, and use the promo code RFL. So today's guests are Dave and Ashley Willis, and they are part of the Naked, the host of the Naked Marriage podcast. So we felt like it was only appropriate that they talk to us about sex. They have. Just a wonderful story of redemption, quite frankly, and I was so grateful for their vulnerability and just how they went there. And I think that's that's so important, especially in spaces of faith, that people aren't feeling shame from something broken, but with the power of testimony, something can be healed and redeemed. I was so inspired by it, and it also gave me more courage, even how I talk about sex with the next generation or with other people who have some confusion about even identity and. Their own sexuality, and you're going to take a lot from this—not just for yourself, for your marriage, but also for the kid, for the kids in your home, or people coming up who are still kind of feeling like things are fluid. And I think this is a very important conversation. Yeah, they're
1: grappling with these big ideas being really forced on them at such an early age to consider what is their sexuality, and until we really have this really clear definition of God's design for sex, and that being inside of a covenant marriage between a man and a woman. Until we get that clear and help our kids start to understand it, the world does get really confusing. And when you think about marriages today, I've just been amazed at the number of people I talk to later in their marriages who don't have a lot of sex. Like, it just starts to become something that is obsolete from their relationships. And so we we talked to Dave and Ashley about that and how should we be thinking about that?
0: Right. And coming back to the root of intimacy and where does that breakdown begin and how does that impact that relationship? You know, just in everyday life but then also in the bedroom.
1: Yeah. So let's listen in now to Dave and Ashley Willis in our conversation about marriage and sex. Hey guys, welcome to the podcast. It's so great to be in conversation again.
2: Well, we're happy to be here with you all.
3: Yeah, you guys are like our coolest friends, yes, and we've no. never even met in person. <laughs> but I just—we've stalked you for so long that yeah. I feel like I feel like we can go ahead and, and call it friends at this point. Yes, yeah, and that. and I just feel cooler that Gabe and Rebecca Lyons even yeah. know who we are because no, like no. we've 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 admired your work for so long and it's always fun to hang out and we're, we're excited about today.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, Dave and Ashley, we respect so much of what you're doing. And I think one of the things that I love about you is that you're just willing to go there. And, and the reason why I think your podcast is so compelling, your work is so compelling is people are just looking for people to tell the truth and to not shy away from the hard conversations, especially the ones in marriage that can implode a marriage. And so today we are going to just talk all about sex. And um, I'm grateful that you're willing to do this. Obviously, you are because you wrote a book about it. And I know that comes with a lot of research, a lot of nuance, a lot of um, like just honest conversations. And knowing this is such a charged topic, it's a painful topic. It's a topic that people feel shame around. And thank you for to, for doing this. And uh, thank you for being a part of this conversation.
1: Yeah, so let's jump right into this conversation because you guys counsel, talk to so many people. You have your own exo marriage conferences that you do all over the country. And I know the sex conversation comes up and and sometimes it's the men that seem most interested in that conversation, right? And it's usually motivated by they're like, I'm not getting enough sex. We're not having sex enough. What do I need to do to have more sex? And almost frames the conversation wrongly. Um, But it's motivated out of thinking like, this is supposed to be happening in a healthy marriage we're supposed to be connecting in, in an intimate way um so curious for you guys just you you decided to write this book called the counterfeit climax and you engage this topic very easily and readily and you're you're not afraid to go there um how important is sex and healthy sex in a good marriage
3: well it's it's huge you know i think that some of the mistakes we make is that we either make sex everything. Like there's this, this trend sometimes in culture or sometimes in our own individual marriages where sex is the only barometer we use for how things are going. And, and we are measuring it by frequency. Like if we're not having sex X number of times per whatever, then our whole marriage is falling apart and it becomes the metric that we base everything on. Or on the other extreme, there are a lot of folks that just don't talk about it at all. It's something that's not happening with any real frequency in their marriage. And they, um, they're just uncomfortable with it. And maybe that discomfort's a result from baggage they brought into the marriage. Uh, and there's all different kinds of, of baggage people can bring in. And that's something we talk about in the book and we talk about on our Naked Marriage podcast is that everybody has some form of sexual baggage. Even if you entered into marriage as a virgin, which is awesome, we all have some baggage just from the mindsets that we picked up related to sex, from our own insecurities, from our own... Um, mindsets and expectations about the way it's supposed to look and where those expectations come from. Some of us have been victims of, of sexual abuse, which of course brings a whole you know separate load of, of trauma into the bedroom. And yet everybody's got some of this stuff, but so few couples are actually honestly talking about it. And so we're just trying to create safe places. And I'm so thankful for, for you guys, Gabe and Rebecca, just for hosting conversations like this um, where the conversation can be had. Because sometimes the act of talking about sex can feel more vulnerable and intimate than the actual act of making love. Right. But when couples get to that place where they're willing to talk about it, they're willing to open up about it with one another and find healing for maybe those places they've been wounded in this area, it's amazing what God can do to to restore not only this aspect of their marriage, but um, even the wounded parts of their own hearts.
0: Right absolutely because intimacy isn't just the act it's the vulnerability all across the board whether it's just the confession honestly like any any level of resentment or bitterness that might have crept in and sometimes you're going through the act but you're actually not being truthful you're not being fully exposed and i think sometimes we think that like sex is kind of that is the counterfeit, right? That we're going to still do the thing, and yet we're not connected. There's there might be growing resentment. There might, and because what you just described as too much or not enough of, around the topic, I think can happen in a one marriage. Right, one person is hyper focused on it. One would rather avoid it, and it's almost like one feeds the other's perspective because one feels a little more standoffish. The other person's a little more, you know, intentional, and then that can create more of a gap. Um, so for you guys. Share with us how you find this freedom in your own marriage and to really find that vulnerability. Did you start that way, or is this something you kind of tripped into a few years in? Like, hey, we need to be a little more forthcoming on this.
2: Oh, goodness. No, I, I feel like they always say, like, you write the book that you need to read or that you maybe wanted to read back in the day, you know, like, you wished you had that information. And and that's definitely true for us. Like, we, we came into marriage from very different backgrounds, and, um, you know, we did wait for marriage. We weren't perfect, so we had that. But uh, I do think Dave, uh, and you can speak to this. I think you built it up like
3: the thing,
2: like the thing. (laughs) Right? Yeah we
3: we had very very different expectations coming in, and and some of it was just like the homes we came up in. Like so, like you know Ashley's parents. We I love them; they're amazing, but they they don't really show affection outwardly, and Mm -hmm. they never talked about this in her home. It was like the topic was shut down if it ever came up. And my parents were like all over each other. I always like I joke they were 50 shades of middle age. It was like
0: still are.
3: It was it creeped me out, you know, but I just thought that was normal that you were, you know, just very outwardly affectionate. And and so I felt like, well, once we get married, it's like all we're going to do. And then I'd also kind of to add to that and complicate it, I'd sabotaged my own mind. And that um, as a teenager into early adulthood, I had fallen into pornography like so many people are currently struggling with, which is why we talk so openly about porn, because it's the ultimate counterfeit. It's it's um, it's something that just unravels God's beautiful plan for sex. But I had poisoned my mind with porn, and it had you know just reshaped in a negative way the way that I saw myself, the way that I saw others, the way that I um, created expectations around sex. And so we entered into marriage. And I had all that baggage from, from porn and all these expectations that we were just going to just make love all the time. And that's what it was going to be. You know, Ashley, she came in with like a completely different set of expectations. And so right from the start, we were learning to try to navigate this really kind of complicated, messy rhythm of trying to figure out well, what's this really supposed to look like. And those, those early years were just awkward. I mean, I think that's probably the yes. best way to put it. It was just awkward for a while.
2: Definitely awkward. Uh, And, you know, I think too, because I came from a home and I love my parents dearly and they are, they've been married forever, like over 40 years. And, I'm so proud of them. But I think that they had kind of some things in their past that they did not want to talk about with me and my sister. And so I think that's what a lot of people do is if they feel like they had maybe a promiscuous past or a past that maybe they're still dealing with some some stuff from there or have shame associated with it, they really shut down those conversations because they are afraid of the questions they might get. And that was my parents. And so, I, I mean, I kid you not, I'm 20, year old, 20 years old, getting ready to walk down the aisle to marry Dave. And my mom, within like 15 minutes, of of this happening, like grabs my arm and says, oh my gosh, I probably should talk to you about what's going to happen tonight, you know? (laughs) And I, and I was like, mom, you know, I think I know what I need to know (laughs) at this point, you know? And I'm like, I appreciate you, you know, acknowledging that now. But I, you know, I was one of those teenagers where I did have questions. Like I would hear stuff at school and I would come home and I would ask about different things that turned out to be a sexual act. But I was, I was, pretty, um, I don't know if shelter's the word, but just innocent. I mean, I don't even know if it was on purpose for my parents, but like I I didn't know a lot. And um, and I'm the firstborn in my family. And when I would come home and ask about things, genuinely trying to understand what my friends were talking about and just wanting to understand, my mom would just freak out. And so here I am, you know, like 20 years later, I'm getting ready to marry Dave. And I I just don't know what to think about right. sex. Like on one hand, yeah. I'm really excited. On the other hand, I'm terrified. Um, and, and then there's this huge thing that I dealt with probably in the first several years where I'm just feeling inadequate, like yeah. feeling completely inadequate. And then you throw in about, I would say probably a couple years into our marriage, would you say a couple years mm-hmm. is when I found the pornography on our computer in our dingy basement, I was looking for something for my school. I was still in school at the time and, um, found it by accident. And then that really, really made me feel inadequate. I mean I was mad, sad, disgusted, angry, shocked. I mean all the different yeah. feelings. but um, I I just I really dealt with um, really for several years afterwards, just as we were healing just this deep-seated inadequacy. And I really feel like too, it was something that the enemy really mm. tried to use on yeah. me time and time again. and so we had to definitely deal with that as well.
0: So when you found that, um, how did you handle that? with Dave immediately. Um, And what did that conversation look like between the two of you? How did you respond? Because I think what the moment you're describing right now is what countless marriages go through, the exposure, the revelation, the kind of what is hidden becomes to the surface. And it literally devastates, like from that moment forward, how people respond. So what did that look like for you guys?
3: Well, I wish I could say that I had just had the courage to confess this before it was found, but, um, I didn't like she found it and then I was confronted with it.
2: Well, cause and, I called you immediately. Well, yeah. not, I would say like, I waited like 10 minutes to just gather myself. Um, and again, I, I was mostly in shock. I, I'm sorry, sweetie. I no, go ahead. Cut you off. But I did call you at work, and what did I say? <laughs> she
3: said, "Do you have something you need to tell me?" Oh and, yeah, <laughs> mean, if, if your wife ever calls and tells you that, just start confessing to like <laughs> <just> everything. everything. <laughs> you know, in third grade, I skipped class. In fourth grade, I stole a candy bar. Go all the way up to present and tell her everything you haven't told her. <laughs> um, but I knew, I knew exactly. You know, and I was, I was sick in my stomach, but I was also thankful that it was finally out. And, um, and that was the beginning of the healing is like just a a cancerous tumor being cut out and it's messy and painful, but it's once something's out in the light, it doesn't have the same power it has over you when you keep it in the darkness. And so her, her finding that created the conversation for me to just Mm -hmm. say, you found it. And, and to tell her how sorry I was and to confess kind of that this is something I'd struggled with and I'd kept in secret and, and how wrong that had been and how wrong I had been and how I wanted to be free from this. And, Wow. and it put us on a path toward toward healing and even that that path was messy because at the time i you know i've never had like a chemical substance addiction but i really feel like looking back that i was i was addicted at the time and and i it i wasn't sure how to navigate my way out of that and so there were one or two relapses in those early months of coming out of it um and through it all i mean ashley was she was so supportive i mean she was um full of grace but also full of uh, firm boundaries that needed to be enforced through love. And she walks that balance in a way that I'm so thankful for her wisdom during that time because that combination of her grace and that combination of her, you know, not standing for it as she shouldn't, and it really created an atmosphere, I think, where, where healing could happen um, faster than it would have otherwise. And so yeah, her heroism and wisdom through that season not only helped me to, to be strong enough to, to walk out of it, but... I think it really is the main reason that not only we're still married today but that we're able to do the work that we do now yeah. helping other couples and so she's um she's the hero of that story she's the hero of, of really most of our stories Jesus and Ashley are the hero of almost all <laughs> Jesus is the hero of all of our stories yeah. Ashley's the hero of of along with Jesus of most of them yeah, and um yeah i'm just I'm thankful for that it was many years ago, and that was a different time. It was before smartphones existed it was before a lot of the um the channels that, that now make porn even more accessible. And so the numbers now, the people that are struggling right now, it's, it's even more staggering. And I'm sure that breaking free from it is even more complicated because Mm -hmm. we carry around in our pockets, you know, something that gives us 24 seven access. And so um, if you're listening right now and you're struggling with this, just know there's hope, but you have to take that first step and you have to bring it out into the light and you have to invite accountability in and, You have to start that road toward freedom. And I promise you it's worth it. It is so worth it to be on the other side and to be free from it.
0: Thanks to Pine Cove Summer Camps for supporting the Rhythms for Life podcast. Pine Cove is excited to announce they're opening a new overnight youth camp in Georgia, the Pine Cove Springs. Pine Cove is a Christian camp with over 50 years of experience. They are bringing price-centered, others-focused, and seriously fun counselors and activities to their new overnight youth camp in Georgia this spring, serving 4th through 8th graders. My first overnight camp happened in 4th grade, changed my life, made me a camper from then on. So if you are wanting to join, spots are still available for summer 22. Check out pinecove.com springs and use the code RHYTHMS250 For $250 off a first-time overnight, youth camp registration at the Pine Cove Springs. Ashley, I'm curious. I mean, obviously the Lord graced you to to walk with Him in it. And even though the sting of betrayal obviously kind of was a confrontation right there. And I think for a lot of women and men— that exposure moment to have the grace to go like I'm with you in this like I know that you're you're a man of integrity like you you have that in you that integrity in you so how are you able to kind of even separate your your own hurt, obviously, like the rejection that that communicated to you, but still to see him as an image bearer to kind of call that that truth and goodness out of him. Because I mean, honestly, that takes quite a quite a bit of spiritual maturity, obviously. And I think what happens sometimes in marriages is that the reason one one party will not expose themselves is they they can't fathom that the person they would confess to would actually believe in them on the other side of that. How right. did you do that?
2: No, I, I think you're exactly right. I think that's why so many spout like so many people hold it in because they're like, I just this is my cross to bear. We've literally heard people say this, like my sin is my cross to bear because my it would hurt my spouse more for them to know and they could never ever forgive me. They could never deal with it. You know, that is the lie from the enemy that he wants us to believe so much. So I'm so glad that when I did ask Dave that he confessed it to me. And, you know, I Dave paints me as like this saint over here. But I mean, there were days where I was like so angry with him and so disgusted with him and so uh, just frustrated and discouraged and not sure if we were going to get through this, or if we were just going to have to settle for this being kind of part of our lives. Like, I'm, you know, that's just very natural, just to be really honest with you guys. Like that's a natural thing that people deal with when they're dealing with this particular issue. And I will tell you when I would have my little pity parties and I would start to think that I'm so great and couldn't do something like Dave did with pornography, the Holy spirit set me right real fast. And it was like, I mean, I'm so glad I'm so thankful for that. And it was just like, anytime I felt that way, It would, you know, he would, he would remind me, you know, actually, how many times have I forgiven you in your lifetime today, every minute, like how many times and, and just reminding me that, that I I, you know, I'm imperfect. I need grace every single minute of the day. And, um, you know, maybe pornography is not my issue, but there's other things that I've had to deal with that Dave's walked through with me. And, uh, and that for him, this is, this was a stronghold in his life and it doesn't define him. This is not who he is. This is sin in his life that he's been gripped by, but that, that, you know, we serve a God that is greater than anything we could deal with. And I knew that we were going to We were going to fare so much better if I could come alongside Dave and walk with him and help pick him up when he's feeling down on those rough days than kick him while he's down. And I think that that's important in any kind of issue that we're dealing with in marriage, not just pornography, not even just sexual issues. I think that we need to remember that all of us are flawed human beings, that we live in a broken world, that none of us have arrived. There's always things like maybe we've been in a strong season where you know we haven't been gripped by by sin like pornography in our lives but let me tell you the minute we start thinking man i'm so beyond this i've never have to deal with that is the very time when the enemy loves to come in and grip us by something and make us believe that we have to keep it a secret and then before you know it we're caught up in 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 that web of lies and deceit and secrecy and so i just i think we have to keep a humility about us to to go through things like this and um and and that's you know god worked on both of us during that time. It wasn't just Dave healing. It was me too. And I think that I had to realize too, that I couldn't look to Dave to fill this hole of inadequacy. I think, you know, it wasn't even just tied to the pornography, but just having these feelings of inadequacy, it really taught me that, you know, that whole kind of thought of You Complete Me from Jerry Maguire all those years ago. I know a lot of our young listeners are going to be like, what are you talking about? But there was a movie, really popular movie, kind of right before we got married, where they kind of, you guys know what I'm talking about. Yes, they, there was this do. narrative of how, you know, for for men and women, like for, you know, they're just looking for that person to complete them. And I think I, I kind of bought into that. And I think that when I found this pornography, it's like the bubble burst a little bit. And and I think that wasn't necessarily a bad thing. I realized that, you know, only God can fill that hole. I can't look to Dave to complete me. I'm, I'm, I'm complete in Christ, but we are two, you know, complete individuals in Christ coming together and loving each other and walking this life together. And so, you know, even though I wouldn't want to go through that time again, we learned so much through that time. And I believe that God really
0: brought us closer through it. Yeah. Wow, that's so
1: good. I know. And you know, there's so much more to be said about pornography and it's not only a male problem. Right. I mean, women oh, yes. are encountered yes. by this. And today, like you said, Dave, on the smartphones, it's just ubiquitous. It's everywhere. No one can avoid the temptation. It, it, it's just It
0: hunts you down. <laughs> it's been
1: it's been made very easy and it's confusing people. And I know you kind of me- mentioned this, but it changes expectations. So, husbands who are watching porn or women who are watching porn it can start to just map the brain in such a way that that they need something more they need something to excite them a little bit more and they, and it keeps pushing and you start to hear these stories where husbands and wives no longer are just enjoying sex like it becomes this event i mean it's like a big thing that they're having to get ready for and figure it out and i, and I just think in that scenario in this culture um how do we fight for the purity of marriage, the purity of of what God's design was for sexuality, where sex isn't just sex, you know, it's like a climax, but that it's much more of what we're talking about. How do how do we try to reclaim that ground in this culture?
3: Well, I think it's just as simple as starting by going back to the truth of what God's Word says about sex, and the farther we get away from that, and the more we look to the culture or entertainment or porn or whatever else to kind of be the the barometer we're using to gauge what healthy sex should be, then the farther off course we're going to get. And you, we look around at all the sexual brokenness and confusion in our culture right now, and even sometimes in our individual marriages right now. And and I think it's just an opportunity to, to have a reset and to go back and say, like, Lord, again, this along with all parts of our life, like, I want to commit this to you. And And I feel like sometimes as Christians, like our our sex life is maybe the last part of us to totally get saved. You know, it's like, God, I'll give you everything else. Uh, one bit little bit of time. I'll give you my eternity, my my heart, all those things. but like but this part I don't fully trust you with yet. and and I think maybe it's because we feel like God's plan for sex is gonna somehow be limiting or boring or, or maybe we're not we're not courageous enough to to talk to even him about the real insecurities on a heart level that we have. But if we'll go back and just remind ourselves of the truth that we're a new creation in Christ, that we can be set free from whatever shame or baggage we're carrying, and that sex is a gift meant to be enjoyed with freedom between a husband and a wife, I think that reset can really help a lot of couples to start moving forward. Because most couples who are stuck in a rut of either not having sex very often or maybe when they do, it's just sort of... um, disconnected from the emotional and soul aspect they're just sort of physically going through the motions or or you know one's always pursuing and the other one is always kind of pushing away like whatever the whatever the frustrating dynamic is um all of those couples can experience healing there's not a one size fits all here's the equation it has to look this exact way for every couple but every couple can experience health and experience a great sex life and it starts by just trusting it in God's hands and then really talking about it. And with the Counterfeit Climax book, more than anything else, it's really just a resource to guide couples through the conversations that are going to help them work through the baggage and get to those breakthroughs.
0: Mm, that's so good. I've uh, often heard, you know, porn versus like sexual intimacy in marriage is that porn is uh, like marriage is something you give and then, Porn is something you take, like where sex is, it's turned into a consumption, uh, something that's about the person being gratified. Versus in marriage, the goal here is that we're we're coming together in union, like that there's a joining here of generosity, of giving, and I think that's obviously an illustration of marriage in general, right? That we're we're bringing our whole selves to one another, and when we say naked, which is what you guys your podcast is about, but it's not just physically naked. It's it's emotionally naked and 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 fully present in in our weakness, in our vulnerability. Um, for just a moment, I just want to address like our. Our youth, our kids, uh, what they're growing up in is very different than what we grew up in. Like I, I resonate with you. I got I kind of got a book on how to become a woman, and that was how I learned about sex. And it was I had some sketches I think from like the '60s, so it wasn't really talked about a whole lot in my upbringing either. Um, but what that does, I think, unfortunately, is it makes kids more curious, and then they go wherever they can find content. And unfortunately, those places that they're going are not you know biblically grounded in um, and, and now in a, a sexual a sexualized society, everything is up for grabs um, and I think even the porn that our kids have have so readily fed to them without them even trying to find it or looking for it involves a lot of same sex porn. Um, And so what happens here is like there's a lot of confusion, I think, even in those formation years of puberty into adolescence, into adulthood on identity, even just like where we are. Like if I was attracted to something that was same sex, then all of a sudden does that make me a lesbian? And so I was curious, or for men, same thing. I'm just curious because I think when I was talking to some girls a year ago that were like, there's like, if you could say one thing, if you could just say that just because you had the attraction does not form identity. And I would love for you guys to unpack that a little bit, because I think as people enter college or enter adult life, there's a big question mark around something. Um, someone once said, well, that just means your parts work. That doesn't mean that that forms identity. And so talk a little bit about that, um, if you don't mind, um, because I do think that's a con- that conversation keeps coming back up.
2: Oh, yeah. My goodness. I mean, you said it so well, Rebecca, like it, it's just so pervasive. The whole uh, kind of pushing exploration, I think, is a, is a big, big agenda with our our youth and the college age, especially. It's like, well, you don't know if you haven't tried. And, you know, do you really know what you like? Do you really know what you're attracted to? And And so it is kind of pushed off on our kids. And that's very confusing. And I think that, you know, too, when it comes to the attraction, you know, kind of, just that word alone like what are you attracted to what are your eyes drawn to i you know we kind of explain it this way like as human beings you know we're we're drawn to a naked human body it's just like that ignites something in us because we are you know we're we're made to be attracted to that and i think that um nakedness in and of itself you know especially in the porn culture that can be really confusing especially like you said if it ends up being like a a same sex or something. And and I think that in in the culture today, they're saying, well, you know, what you're attracted to is who you are. Like, that's what they're trying to say. Like, it, it is every bit of who you are, you know, gather, rally with those people. Those are your people and then run with it. And really it's like, this isn't, you know, sex is something in marriage that we get to experience to to connect as a husband and wife. And it is very binding. It's binding to bind the marriage together. And that's how God designed it but it is not you know our identity it's not the definition of who we are and i think that there's so much there's so much weight put on that today that i don't know it just seems like even with our own our own boys there's all these different labels they want to put on themselves and trying out these different labels and i do think it's very confusing and i think that as parents and even just to the youth who are listening we have to realize that that you know we are sons and daughters of god uh, you know, sex is part of who we are, and we need—we do need to watch where our eyes go because it can be—you know—it's—it's it's alluring. It's something that that we can get caught up in, and so we don't need to allow though these thoughts of getting hyper-focused on attraction, you know, just lending our thoughts to that. Because, you know, with neuroscience, they say like, you know, what you think on the most, it literally makes like a ridge in your brain. So it becomes like this automatic thought. And it doesn't mean you can't overcome those, but there there are sometimes, I think the enemy uses that to just plague these people. and, And that's where you see anxiety come in and they're having this crisis of sexuality issues. And uh, and then feeling like they need to go play this out and see where this goes, and it just ends up in a lot more confusion, and it kind of breeds on itself.
3: Yeah. And and just to add quickly to that, I feel like the root the root of all all of the sexual confusion in our whole era it it comes down to I- these identity questions. Yeah. If P, it's not even really about sex as much as it's about identity. And I think everything for everything that where Jesus offers us something that's genuine you know, the enemy comes in and tries to offer a counterfeit version. And I feel like with sexuality, with with transgenderism, with all these things, really at the root of it more than anything else, it comes down to people's desire for something that only God can, can, fill, can yeah. fulfill, and that's to be born again. Jesus says you have to be born again. You have to have a new identity. This is a desire put within our soul. But if we don't turn to him for that new birth, then the biggest cultural counterfeit, that people will, will say, this is my identity, is, is to come out in some way related to their sexuality or their gender. This this is who I am. These are my people. This is my community. This is my identity. And they're longing for that rebirth, that new identity that Jesus has put inside of us a longing for that. But they're, they're trying to fulfill that in a physical way where it can only be really fulfilled in a spiritual way right. through Christ. Yeah. And so, so I have a lot of compassion for folks that are mm-hmm. that are, you know, caught up in a lot of that confusion is because I know at, at a heart level, they're crying out for something that Jesus wants to give them, which is a new birth and a new identity in him. And ultimately trying to find it through sex, trying to find it through changing our gender, changing anything about ourselves apart from Christ, it's gonna prove to be a dead end. And uh Jesus is there with grace when we finally figure that out to to welcome us home.
1: Well, this has been a helpful conversation. One final thought from you. We were talking during this series about rhythms that people can practice to help grow in their health, in their marriage. So around sexuality, is there a rhythm that you would recommend people grow in?
2: Yes, I think number one, start talking about your sex life. I, like Dave said kind of early on in this conversation, so many people, when we bring that up, they, they kind of, you know, kind of freeze up a little bit because just even the thought of talking about sex seems scarier than actually having sex because it's so vulnerable. But that's the very thing that will actually grow your intimacy because conversation is really the start of a great sex life. It's everything that happens outside of the bedroom that makes sex either either better or worse inside the bedroom. And so if you've never really talked about it, what you like, what you dislike, um, you know, just just talk about it, how you're feeling uh, outside of the bedroom. Then I would challenge couples to do that. And number two, I would say pray about your sex life. And you know, whenever we say, say this from the stage when we're speaking, people kind of have this nervous giggle. But I always say, like, listen, sex was God's idea. Yeah, <laughs> it was completely His idea for a marriage. So right. why in the world we pray about all kinds of different things that God created? Why in the world as married people will we not pray that God would bless our sex life? Because it would make all the difference in the world. And this is something we've been doing for a long time. And I'm telling you, there's a big difference when you're praying about sex than when you're not. So I would challenge couples listening to pray about sex. And those of you who are not married, Pray about, you know, for, for for God to prepare you for that and for you to hold tight to, to your standards to, to save yourself. And if you haven't saved yourself, to embrace, you know, being a new creation and to wait for that person now, you know, now where you are in your walk with Christ. And um, thirdly, and this is, we get this question all the time, and I'm sure you guys do too. People always ask us, anytime you're at a marriage conference, they are like, well, how many times a week, a month or whatever? Should a, should a married yes. couple be having sex? And I would say, again, that gives you another mm. thing to talk about. Lots. And I would just say, <laughs> yeah, lots. I would say it needs to be a regular thing in your marriage. Yes.
3: Yeah. but it's not regular. just about some magic number. Yes. It's about right. just prioritizing. Often. Yeah, just making each other a priority, serving one another showing a lot of grace to one another, yes, and making sure the marriage be- marriage bed is the safest place on earth for both of you. Yeah, yeah, that's
0: so good. And even just those three things you mentioned before that, I think, informs even that final question, right? Because if, if you're talking about it openly and you're asking God to bless that, that vulnerability, that confession, that honesty, I know for Gabe and I, when we started doing that in our sex life, like years, probably I would say the last five to seven years. um, It did change. It changed the way I saw myself, my insecurities that I used to keep hidden. I just wouldn't talk about. Um, Same for him. We would just actually go there. And the intimacy that grew out of just being honest and loving with what we were bringing each other, um, that that helped so much. And then it didn't feel weird to pray about it either. We're like, God, we know that exactly. this is from you. Like, this is sacred. This is something you've appointed for us to not always have this weirdness about, but but to actually be whole and healed in it. And as a result, like praying about it felt normal too. And then all of a sudden the frequency increases because you're less like nervous or cautious about the whole thing. So I I'm so thankful that you gave us those practical tools. Thank you guys for being on. We could obviously go on and on. And of course, we are now besties so we're going to just do this more often clearly (laughs) but thank you love it (laughs) thank you for for just being a part of this and for really just sharing your story because i know that it's going to help a lot of people when they tune in
3: well thanks for the amazing work you guys do it really is is a privilege to connect and thanks for hosting this conversation
0: Well, I hope that you took some encouragement from that, probably took some notes while you were at it, and this is a resource that you guys can come back to. I know that we will. We'll even listen to it with our kids, because I think it's just very important for kids to hear this stuff beforehand, not later, you know, 10 years into marriage, 20 years into marriage, that healing is possible.
1: And these are the kinds of conversations we like to have when we're hosting our retreats, and many of you know about our retreats, our Rhythms retreats that we do at Lost Valley Ranch. We're doing one again, October 21st to 24th, 30 Couples join with us, and we go really deep into these topics, and we invite in the the experts on marriage, on intimacy, on psychology, on our health, and we really together start to understand how are we going to take control of these rhythms and implement them in our life, and we do, with couples there, have these kinds of conversations about sex, about communication, about very practical ways that we can all improve and how we do that.
0: And we realize that these aren't just rhythms that don't require healing. And that's why we also have counselors come in, therapists that just talk about what are the places of shame that we've been hiding? Where can those be exposed, confessed, and redeemed so that we can have a flourishing marriage?
1: So if you want to learn more about that and sign up while there's still some spaces available, go to rebeccalions.com slash rhythms retreat, and you can learn much more about that and join us. We would love to hang out with you for that weekend.